Before we begin our second season, we wanted to take a minute to acknowledge the current political moment. To start, we want to state for the record that we both strongly support Black Lives Matter. We also want to be clear that we both take it to be an uncontroversial fact that we live in a white supremacy. This isn't a controversial term in academia, in particular when it comes to critical race theory. It's used to refer to the way that our world is structured, namely that society is built to favor white people. One reason that people resist the term, I think, is that it sounds like we're saying that society is a compilation of white supremacists as though secretly in our hearts, we actively wish for the dominance of the white race. And that's a very psychologistic way of looking at things and is just inaccurate. Acknowledging that we live in a white supremacy doesn't have anything to do with everyone secretly actively wishing for the oppression of non-whites. In fact, part of the problem is that to white people, the ease we have compared to other races is invisible to us. We don't even notice it and it seems normal. And just a quick word about privilege. That's not to say that everyone who's white or a man has it easy or is automatically successful. This is a common misconception. We have positive associations with privilege where often you'll hear people use it in a sentence like, oh, it's such a privilege to be able to do this thing that we're actively grateful for. And so I think part of what trips people up about privilege is that it's not a thing we're registering and that's part of the problem. What it means is because of your identity, you have had the fewest impediments. That's just a better way to think about it. And it's hard to register because what you don't see is how many more impediments everyone else has because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or their class or their disability or whatever. To begin to reckon with the fact that we live in a white supremacy, we have to be able to question what we see as normal, to question a lot of what we take for granted. That involves a lot of listening, a lot of reading, a lot of watching YouTube lectures and documentaries. We don't have one or two things to unlearn. We have to reorient our sense of the whole picture. That also means questioning which stories we tell and how we tell them. A lot of what we do on this podcast is about questioning the history of male-dominated stories, which mainly relegate women to secondary characters. In the last episode of our first season, we talked about Spike Lee's 1986 film, She's Gotta Have It, and our discussion included mention of the white gaze, which is just as important to keep in mind. Our Western canon has long been held up as significant in part, so the story goes, because it offers a timeless universal insight into what being human means. The problem is most of those stories are about white men and that becomes a problem when we start to see whiteness and maleness as the essential humanity because other stories seem less universally relevant. How often have you heard a man say, oh that's a story about a woman, I wouldn't know how to relate to it. Meanwhile, I've never heard a woman say the same thing about a story featuring a male protagonist. What we need to do is question what we find easily relatable who seems quote unquote, easily likable, and to stretch our imaginations beyond what we take for granted as universal and essential. Women and people of color need to be able to see themselves represented in narratives as protagonists. But just as importantly, white people need to see more narratives with non-white protagonists, and men need to see narratives about women and non-binary people. Hi, I'm Lisa McEwen. And I'm Lisa Anita Wagner. And together we are She's gotta have it! Exclamation mark. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of She's Gotta Have It! Exclamation mark. In which we talk about Fleabag Season 2, Episode 3. Shall we dive into what we want? Let's just dive right into what we want. 
I do have an idea. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of a fantasy right now, but that's why it's in what we want, not what we have. By the time this comes out, this will either be a plan or it won't be. So I'll either be like, yay, or very sad. It's like the end of November right now. And I just had this realization that my dissertation deadline is not as early as I had been thinking. I'm not really sure why it took me this long to have this revelation. I think it's because I can only think like two months ahead in pandemic time. Like I kind of can't think too far ahead. So I think that that's why I just started thinking about what the spring was going to look like and had this realization that I didn't need to finish my dissertation on the same timeline as last year. I really want to get out of this garbage dumpster fire that Toronto has become of COVID cases and uh, get over to PEI to see my biofam, which PEI is only letting people in who have property there or who have direct family connections who will take responsibility for their family member to make sure that everyone is quarantining. So I don't know if this is going to come to pass, but my my dream right now is that I would go to PEI for about six weeks because I'd have to quarantine for two and then I would maybe find an Airbnb or something for four weeks and and hang out and and see more of my biofam and, and be in their utopian maritime bubble that we all keep hearing about. Nice. Yeah. Because yeah. I haven't seen them in a year. There was supposed to be a family reunion on my biological father's side this summer, and that had to be postponed, obviously. But my biological father, especially, is getting up there in years as well. And I hope he's around for 10 more, but he's 82 and a half. And hopefully, yep, he'll be around for a lot longer. But, you know, you don't want to take that for granted. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I did actually, part of the reason I have this idea is that I. One of my cousins who lives in Toronto um, has just been hanging out with his family for two months in PEI because uh, his family's, Des's oldest brother is about to turn 89, I think. So yeah, yeah, the Duffies live forever. So I just, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons. And also it would just be like a dream to get out of Toronto right now, especially when there's not a lot I'm doing here anyway that I can't just do remotely. Anyway, so that is my fantasy. What is, what is your what? what you want I hope that that works out for you I think is I was curious about the traveling there but like you've got your bio family there I guess that makes the the entry because I was curious how the letting in process works oh yeah so you have to there's an application there's a formal application you have to file that I would have to file away in advance that yeah either you you have property or there's the the family the family one and uh I yeah I'm, I'm sure on either side, I, I would have somebody who would happily vouch for me. So totally, yeah. Oh my God. Well, I hope that that works. Then we could do a PEI episodes perhaps, or maybe you would not have one, but who knows? You no, know, that'd be great. Yeah. Globe trotting. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I was thinking while you were talking, mine's a little bit of a copycat from what you had brought. And actually, how do you say, you know, when you can't have a hoog, you can have a hooga. Hooga. All right. Hooga. I did Google it. You had mentioned it several times and I had a good sense of, I had a good sense of it from you talking about that notion. But when I really Googled I realized that I was naturally already inclined to that quite a bit. And since I Googled it, I think I've like leaned into it a little bit more. Like now I have my, my, my fluffy blankets, like everywhere where I'm already at. So I can just like reach for one as opposed to get up for one. I did put some more candles around. I put little bowls of snacks in different rooms. And all of a sudden I set it up almost as if I was a host in my own home. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what would I really like everywhere? And I think I used to do that when I was coupled with people or when people were coming over, but I never really 
planned it out to that extent of what's best for me when it was just me. So I guess it's like for me. <laughs> and I mean, I've already, I have already been doing it, but just really leaning into it and making it, I guess, perfect is that, that sounds like the wrong word. I'm not talking about a specific perfection, but making it to the sort of like, yeah, the nth degree of, of good for me. So I can just like be in my great new purple couch. That's so comfortable and like lean over one way, get a blanket, lean over the other way, get some Halloween candy. So, yeah. So I guess it's, I think I had said before I was, I wanted to remember that I'm a, a, a bit of a hedonist. So I guess it's like Hugge, my own version of hedonism and, and making it cozy for winter. And today was a good taste of that cold, wet, like, yeah, I, when I took my dog out, I was like totally soaked and covered in slushy snow when I came in. So yeah, that's just getting me to lean into it more. And I got a pumpkin spice candle too. Which, um, it was a Glade one. It was a bit disappointing, but it was still good. Like I just really, I, I really, really just dig it. So yeah. 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 I spent an inordinate amount of money on Bath and Body Works candles and there was a sale. They have I, nice ones. Yeah. I have about 10. Oh, nice. Very <laughs> yeah. nice. I, it makes such a big difference in my mood in the winter that I was like, what else am I doing? I'm not going out to the comedy bar. I'm not going out to restaurants with friends. I'm, you know, I'm not traveling very much unless I end up managing to make it to PEIs. And I also put up some more Christmas lights over the weekend because yeah, I'm trying to kind of increase the cozy wintry, like just get the most out of it. Cause I actually like, you know, at the beginning of winter, I like the kind of longer nights. I like the increased darkness because then, you know, the candles are kind of cozier. It's hard in the summer when it doesn't get dark till 10 p.m. And then I'm like ready for bed anyway. And it's like, yeah. I could I could put a candle on right now, but it's not the same contrast. So I was out for a walk with Susan. She That's Susan, friend of the pod. <laughs> Susan, friend of the pod, as she is delighted to be known. As. And it was so wonderful to come home and to just have some soup and some tea and some like an egg on a piece of toast. Like it was just the, it was just such a, a nourishing thing, both actually like literally, but also for my soul. Cause I'm organizing my, my storage. So I just found my Christmas stuff and now I'm actually keen to put it up. I didn't really put my Halloween stuff away. I kind of amalgamated. <laughs> uh huh. So, but the Christmas stuff, I, I realized, yeah, it'll make, it'll make more, more hygge and more festivities. As an aside, I have to say, I've been doing a lot of walks as I do. And uh, I cannot tell you the number of people who are just leaning into Christmas super early this year, as, as we all should, if we want to. People's Christmas trees are up, their houses are decorated. Like it's just, I can see so many Christmas trees from the street. It's wonderful. Awesome. Yeah. And it was a really awesome Halloween year too. I got to say there's a lot of people did a lot of outdoor decorations mm. for that too. So mm -hmm. yeah. Woohoo. Decorating yeah. for the holidays. Important. Definitely. Especially this year. We need, we need to do what we can for ourselves. Yeah. Woohoo. Awesome. Shall we on to Fleabag and her priest? Let's do it. This is one of those episodes. I basically just have notes about the points that I like, but I don't have yeah. overarching things. Yeah. I don't think I have a much of an overarching thing either because there's also, there's sort of two main things that happen, maybe three, depending on how you want to carve it down, but there's the sisters work reception award party. Yeah. And then there's the final hangout with the priest. And I mean, Chris and Scott Thompson and Fleabag hanging out sort of, in between that might itself be its own third yeah, thing. Yeah, I'd say it's a beat itself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, there's just, there's a lot of, I mean, it's just sort of how the episode goes. Like, there's a lot of different beats. 
and it it adds up to something really interesting over over the course of a season. Yeah, let's just dive in. What what's one of your first notes? The first one that I have is I thought that it was just such interesting and thoughtful use of the object, like the the, the torso that was made by the stepmom, mm. stolen by flea bag and then in this interesting thing where oh my god that thing where she picked up the thing and shattered the award um, <laughs> which is why we have this other award that was a really because that's and then wouldn't that be satisfying to do just for the film like to actually smash a big glass thing uh-huh. satisfying to look at but yeah and then when she ran home and grabbed that award which made perfect sense like it's a woman's award and she had the torso I just was like that's such thoughtful use of this torso that her stepmom made and then to bring it around to someone that member claire said oh i hope it's not doesn't it's not pink or anything too feminine and then she gives literally boobs um, <laughs> sorry it's so funny so funny it's so good and then i remembered something that you had noticed back when the first time we, we saw that torso well first of all parts of a woman like just, just so interesting how it's about so many things and remember she pulled it out and she had, had no shirt on and all of a sudden the torso was her so it's just like that really smart cool storytelling where this object is so loaded and has so mm. much going on and it's been traveling nicely through the show yeah and the yeah exactly so it's it's this very sexualized like torso right which is very much about that kind of hourglass feminine shape and and Chris like it's a it's a it's an, a business award for like the business woman's <laughs> right so the contrast suddenly between the way that like women in the business world try to often desexualize themselves right in order to kind of be um successful like that's a whole thing and yeah. we don't really have time to get into it and i'm not enough of an expert on that but that you know they're all wearing like buttoned up shirts right to the neck you know you can just see it in in the costuming in this episode and the original smashed award looked a bit like a sperm <laughs> oh did it I yeah did. she said that she said it looks like a sperm and right before she dropped it and it kind of does so you know what uh, i mean yeah, so yeah. The opposite like they're going for sperm and buttoned up and then Kristen Scott Thomas's character, whose uh, her character name I forget, sorry. Uh, she she says I th- I was gonna joke that this is a bit on the nose, but she doesn't have one, which is, which is beautiful uh, yeah. because yeah, I mean like the, the like there's no cerebral or like at all heady about this statue because there's just like literally no head attached to it. I know, um, and even the statue itself has one hip cocked out in a costume. <laughs> you already look at it, like it's yeah, it's very thought out. Yeah, I really liked that moment yeah I like and I like how you pay attention to things like the sound design and the props because these are often things that I'm missing um, as I watch especially on a first first pass well I really noticed the prop when there was that moment when she was sent out to go after Kirsten stopped Thomas to get it back like think of that that's like the most awkward she's like running after her in the rain she's like oh, I need that back so that's where I just thought again they use it so expertly to make it like this point of yeah awkwardness as well yeah and so the thing I noticed was just the way that I mean just the the, the contrast between the sisters which I just think more and more is a nice representative of the dichotomized way you can feel like as a woman like on the one hand you can feel like a mess but then there's like Claire who just does everything she can she works so hard to cover up any part of herself that is vulnerable or messy or intuitive like there's just there's so much yeah covering up and kind of control mm-hmm. that Claire tries to exert in her life and I mean you know to some extent that's worked for her because she's a very successful business person <laughs> we've established she's not a lawyer she's she's a very <laughs> successful business person who has a uh, you know as 
is pointed out at some point in the episode, an enormous office. And then there's, you know, Fleabag on the other hand, who like, yeah, is, you know, lets it all out a bit, but like has, uh, has had a lot of tragedy and suffering and poverty in her life and struggled a lot, like with her business in the last, in the last season. I have to say that like, there's a, there's, I can't remember the exact conversation, but where her sister's like, don't make any jokes. I'm just so interested in this because it really reminds me of my own feeling in academia sometimes. I am somebody who will just go in and make jokes in places where there's often kind of a serious vibe. And I remember being at a particular dinner. It was for the, the women in philosophy at a particular department a few years ago. And there was this sort of like very like reserved somber vibe around the table. And I remember just making a joke because somebody asked me to introduce myself and I was there and I was in this Wonder Woman shirt. I was introducing myself as the person who ran the feminism reading group. And I made a joke about how, I don't know, something like I was very on brand or something. Like I just felt very conspicuous in this <laughs> Wonder Woman shirt. <laughs> and everyone just looked at me like expressionless. And I was like, cool. <laughs> like I, like it was just so awkward and i was like sorry everyone sorry for oh I don't having a personality back, this just reminded me of this so i was in the modeling business for a while which is its own like absolute absurd weird thing and when it would get really uncomfortable with groups of models that were really somber with each other and like mm. very sort of yeah same thing we're being in an elevator full of models and i turned around so facing everybody which is such a gauche thing i was like hey guys how's everybody doing <laughs> and then someone goes oh and then later on, someone's like, are you going to say another weird thing like that? So just trying to be academia, groups of models. Well, and not all of academia. Like there's definitely people who have a sense of humor, but I was, I was, uh, I was commiserating with a friend of mine who's a guy actually, who also has a similar sort of jokey personality. And he feels the same way at his faculty meetings. Like there's just, I think it's like some combination of what people think is appropriate. And also just the fact that maybe like jokey people don't tend to be academics, and so you just don't get the kind of audience that might be receptive to your personality a lot of the time. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out. Totally. And there could be non-laughffers that appreciate it too. Do you know what I mean? You don't always know. There could be someone that's really <laughs> giving you the thumbs up, but they yeah, don't. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But yeah, it was interesting how she said basically to Fleabag, don't like, don't do anything. Don't be yourself. Like don't make jokes. Yeah. Don't do anything. And that's like you said, the opposite of what she is. She's trying to not be herself. So she's asking her sister to be like her for this. Yeah, movie. exactly. And it, it goes badly. And then, yeah, Claire gets so uptight about Fleabag. I mean, it sort of reminds me of the first dinner. It's like it, Claire then gets uptight about Fleabag misbehaving and Fleabag doesn't. But the Claire's constant anticipation of that, plus her own social anxiety uh, with that man named Claire, Claire. who's her her colleague that she obviously fancies yeah just suddenly she becomes this babbling like teenage girl right like the way that anyone would in front of somebody they were incredibly nervous around and just lets out all these Freudian slips I know and it is a big difference you know her face always looks so like tense and then when yeah. she's around man Claire she her face really lit up and it was yeah it was a funny it was an interesting moment that's th that's the fellow that's from the bridge I don't know if you noticed he's oh. from the Swedish Danish show the bridge that we talked about before who did he, he play on the bridge? reporter he was like the, oh. the reporter. he's a good actor because he really changed his vibe like it was I, but I just recognized him oh, okay okay yeah. uh, incidentally but yeah he, he was good casting and they were great together and then it was interesting like how it manifested her you know like inappropriate giggly sexual stuff and then it got kind of aggressive she's like we're gonna fuck all night or whatever she said <laughs> <laughs> it's a really funny mix yeah she's a, she's such an interesting actress and I really mm -hmm. think I think 
Fleabag and Claire are my favorite sisters from television. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. And then actually another note that I have, which is sort of near the end, but we've just sort of broken it into the chunks, but that we are not friends. We're sisters, just powerful and kind of heartbreaking. And then Fleabag's face. Cause I think she does consider Claire her friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because Claire has this sort of rigid set, like overdoing the boundaries. Like she's got this very rigid sense of how the world is or should be. And it kind of constantly, she gets in her own way about things, right? But it just felt like such a childish thing to say to her, like, we're not friends, go get your own friend. Because she's, I think, threatened by, by Fleabag's charm because she doesn't feel confident that she has any. And she does, but she just gets... Like she gets wound up about it around Fleabag. And we're both only children, so we don't... I mean, I, I found out that I do have a bio sister, which is very exciting for me. Yeah. But I did not grow up with a sister, but I, I can kind of... I really felt Claire's insecurity and her jealousy when she sort of spat that out. Like, we're not friends. Go find your own friends. So heartbreaking. And then actually sort of almost like the opposite of that, one of the lines that was also heartbreaking when she was having her brief... Uh, drink with Kirsten Scott Thomas was when she says people are shit or something then she said people are all we've got yes but that really stuck out as a just a powerful line especially these days right when we're in a pandemic and right now I think a lot of us are missing people and you suddenly realize how true it is that people are all we've got like people are really important and it's very easy to kind of get jaded and frustrated by one's experiences right? I mean, this also happens to people with online dating, right? Like it's very easy to get jaded and kind of want to give up. But the Mm -hmm. fact is, is that you can't write all people off because people are just trying to people and everyone's got their own weird insecurities. And it sometimes comes out as like ugly garbage. And sometimes it just (laughs) comes out as like jokes, but well said, but yeah, no, I also had that line written down as like particularly significant because it's, I don't know, Kristen Scott Thomas is this sort of deus ex machina. Like she's almost sort of like sent into the show to help Fleabag to give her a little extra boost or something. Yeah, a external. Well, it like a real, like an actual real, I guess, piece of advice. Fleabag as always flirts and wants to have sex with people she connects with. Mm-hmm. And then it was also interesting that Kirsten caught Thomas said no, but then she's like, oh, I just can't be bothered. You're not my type. But it was just like, yeah, it was just- Such an inter- a, a contrast, right? Because Fleabag's sort of looking up to this woman and yet suddenly this woman is doing the opposite of Fleabag's every impulse, which is to just constantly have sex with anyone who wants to have sex with her. And Kristen Scott Thomas is actually suddenly, you know, this sort of older, wiser woman in this place of like both both of, of more physical limitations where she just gets tired more easily, probably, but also just sort of genuinely in touch with what she wants and what she does not want is to make out with Fleabag. Yeah. And it's sort of, you know, I mean, between the rejection, but also the sort of astonishment that someone would just say no to the attention that Fleabag cannot bring herself to say no to. I think you can see it kind of hit her. Yeah. And I do think it's interesting that she said, like, I I just kind of couldn't be bothered, but it's true because it doesn't suit her. So she's Mm -hmm. just not doing it. Yeah. And the the conversation just preceding that, right, where she does talk about missing the charge of being a young person and the charge of possibility, right? Like, that's really what she's talking about when she's talking about the flirtation and stuff. She's not talking about like, douchey dudes sexually harassing you. She's talking about that kind of sense of the unknown and of possibility. And and yeah, how that fades a bit, maybe as you as you get older and how 
there's something kind of fun about that and that there's something fun about being single in that way she doesn't want her sexually but she does say call me for anything so again it's all different yeah. than what fleabag is expecting she should yeah. refer to her sister kind of like oh look i got this card kind of like a like a prize because, yeah yeah her sister didn't even want to talk to her remember like this woman like liked fleabag for who she is she didn't want anything from her she didn't want if anything, like she was sort of offering her services for nothing, right? Because often Fleabag has this sort of sense that what she has to offer is sex, but she actually has a lot more than that. And then that actually brings me to the last scene that, that is on in this show with the priest. This time, I guess he really says, we're not going to have sex. So I think that that's refreshing and hard to say when, when you want to and someone else wants to. But mm-hmm. he's so like, yeah, he's got like these really nice solid boundaries. But I just noticed for Fleabag, two people said to her, just no. Yeah. In this episode. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I found that interesting. But again, you know, she's found somebody who wants to hang out with her because he likes her, likes not her. just because he wants to sleep with her. Yeah, and the set, yeah. they said, well, I'd really like to be your friend. And he said, like, really like to be your friend too. But it felt very genuine. Yeah. And he says something at some point, like she's good for him because she doesn't like believe or subscribe to everything that he yeah. does. Right. That's and yeah, it's an interesting kind of commentary on, on friendship and how, you know, what we contribute to each other's lives. That makes sense to me. If I'd be like a Catholic nun, I'd prefer to hang out with some other non-Catholic think people and thinkers and stuff too. So it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And then my last note here was, he sees her in that moment of where did you go? And that's I know. really cool. Cause it's almost like he breaks that magical fourth, third, fifth wall. Exactly. <laughs> They're with us, but he's, yeah. So that I thought was just such good story on film. And then really interesting that he's the first one that sees her. Yeah. And like really, yeah. Has that, has that insight into her internal monologue and what she's often hiding from people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. We all have we I think we made notes about all the same things, which yeah. I really like. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my last note too. Just like the where did you go? And she just, just is totally shocked by that because no one else in her life notices when she retreats like that or kind of has an aside to herself slash us. And he sees and he sees it and he and she she refuses to tell him because she's I think so thrown she doesn't really know how. And he accepts it, but you can tell that he he knows that she's lying right that yeah that, that she she, she just doesn't trust him enough yet right so he says okay she is like shocked by that and it, that reminded me of the very first moment when she's in the tub and she's reading the bible and she turns the page and goes oh! and it's yeah. like, i don't know the bible and i was like i'm not going to pick it up and read it but i was vaguely curious like yeah. <laughs> what would a shock her? but it's just interesting again with that craftsmanship the very first moment is a oh, shock and then the yeah. end where did you go oh, shock so it's interesting yeah. she gets said no to sexually twice and it starts and ends with a shock yeah so just kind of yes thematically um, yeah it brings it right back around to the same kind of emotional moment it's again just like very short very well crafted very interesting character wise so yeah and I guess I'm just thinking out loud that when he says like where did you go like I saw you just go somewhere in fact that's what we all want we want to be seen like yeah by someone so so I think that that's yeah an unexpected relationship in a fresh way you haven't seen it getting this that thing that people really want in an unusual package no sex and and in fact in a a celibate priestly package which didn't see that one coming i'm excited for the next episode me too i think that's all i have to say about that i think i'm just 
Yeah. Again, and again, thinking about how this season, I think I said this on our first episode of the season, I said that it was about faith and it was about her learning to trust herself again. And it's about having these moments of having reflected back to you your value, which is what we all need, right? Like she really had lost a sense of that because she just thinks she's such garbage because of what happened to her best friend. And she's got all this guilt and all this shame about it. And she actually has people reflecting back to her this season pretty consistently especially through the eyes of the priest that she is worthy that she you know has value outside of her body and her sexuality yeah and the two folks from today not her sister her sister notwithstanding really both both said that so specifically because it's also showing us how people see her outside of which is maybe also how boo saw her right outside of her family because her her stepmother is just a bitch who's constantly like demeaning her in all these ways that that are hidden underneath a smile yeah and her sister's constantly like you know giving her mixed signals like in one moment claire will support her in another moment she won't like she she says she believes her and then she doesn't and then she it turns out she claire does believe that martin kissed her but was angry at her anyway and, and fleabag's really jerked around a lot by her family and her and then the father who you know loves her but doesn't really speak up for her and it's like she really has been needing this she's been needing other people to kind of get her back on her feet because uh you know people are important and we all need people people are all we've got yep and on that note now that we've said it it, we've we've gotta get get it it. clapped it myself